0: On the most consequential Friday in human history, both the literal and figurative crux of the journey of humankind across the face of the earth, as well as through that construct we call time, well, I desired you to meet a, a cast of characters who will each play a pivotal part in its mourning. It's safe to say that none of these men, women, and children, except for the central player in the drama, had any idea... They were engaging with things ultimate and eternal. One wonders how much of life avoids eternity in that frame of mind. Here they are. The High Council of the Jewish people and of their state religion, preening themselves on the heights of the glories of their religious purity and protectiveness, preparing to arrive and deliver a prisoner to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Himself on relatively thin ice, both with Rome and with the people of Palestine, due to his hot and cold administrative style, who is perhaps sitting at a breakfast, wondering why his wife is not down from her rooms yet, looking out the windows and then seeing coming Jesus of Nazareth, who is surrounded by the council members who are in visibly high spirits, fine fettle. His hands are bound His robe and tunic are askew, possibly torn. His face is a mixture of blood, bruises, and dried spit. He is being led toward the governor's manse, and the streets around him are filling quickly with the townspeople of Jerusalem. Men, women, and children gathering momentum unto a mob-like feel. They've only just woken up, but the rumor mill is already churning heartily. The hero of that Sunday just past is, according to the word on the street, quickly becoming quite the villain. In fact, here he comes. The people of Jerusalem begin whispering and murmuring against this man walking there at the council's center. They are held back from any violence, not yet, come the shouts at them, from the rank on rank of Roman soldiers many still drunk from the quite a night they'd had the night before. Those at the governor's gate had seen the coming processional of the council and their prisoner, and had alerted the rest of the guard within. They quickly clear a path, manhandling the people with just the right amount of force. And thus, the council and Jesus are allowed to arrive at the gateway. Offstage, unwittingly awaiting their own big moments that Friday, are also two more participants in the passage of that morning. These two men are Barabbas, a bandit, thief, and murderer, who is expecting to be executed at the governor's whim any time now, but who will finish this day, a free man, walking somewhat confusedly in the Judean high country, and Simon of Cyrene, an immigrant day laborer, trying to mind his own business in this ever-chaotic city, who will soon be matching strides with a man who has latterly been under torture, and who is now walking up a hill in order to save the entirety of the human race. And so there you have the whole cast of that Friday. Everyone is assembled right where they need to be. Before the curtain is torn, the proverbial curtain must rise upon the the greatest, most glorious tragedy ever to grace the stage of the world of humankind. So let's begin. The moment daylight came, the chief priests called together a meeting of elders, scribes, and members of the whole council, bound Jesus, and took him off and handed him over to Pilate. So yes, here they come parting the paths of curious onlookers looking, making their way toward that gateway of imperial power. And here Pilate comes, annoyed, as per usual, yet bemused that their ritualistic religion requires his coming outside. How funny to feel that being near to him causes a sort of uncleanliness that apparently the act of religious murder somehow won't. Pilate walks out, rolling his eyes, shaking his head. He asked Jesus straight out, Well, you, uh, are you the king of the Jews? He looked him up and down as these words were rolling forth. Yes, I am, Jesus replied, looking directly back into the eyes of the governor, which was surprisingly unnerving for that man. And the chief priests, standing there, making many accusations, gesticulating wildly, went on and on and on with their wrathful words. So Pilate turned and questioned Jesus again. Have you nothing to say? Listen to all their accusations. But Jesus only continued looking at Pilate, and he made no further answer to Pilate's astonishment. At this point, Pilate pulled the leaders of the people aside. He had an idea in mind for how to keep this morning from turning riotous. "'Why don't we step inside the first courtyard?' he asked them quietly. This was an open air space, with a balcony up above, upon which sat the so-called seat of judgment, the whole area except for that balcony unroofed. They could come inside, with a reasonable quorum of Jerusalemites— And none of these religious fools need feel depurified by his presence. So the chief priests and leaders agreed, went inside, along with perhaps two to three hundred other people. So far, so good for Pilate's strategy to be rid of them. Now, it was his custom at festival time to release a prisoner, anyone they asked for. He'd been thinking of this, by the way, for the last few minutes of their gateway tirades. And there was in the prisoner at that time, with some other rioters who had committed murder in a recent outbreak, a man called Barabbas. Pilate, now up on the balcony, kept hinting at this man. Jesus was just to his left, standing up toward the rail. And the crowd below kept surging forward and began to demand that Pilate should do what he usually did for them. He saw his chance. So he spoke to them. Do you want me to set free the king of the Jews for you? His voice sounded unnaturally hopeful. He scanned the eyes of the crowd down below him. For you see, he knew perfectly well that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him through sheer malice. Pilate was not a stupid man. He had, in fact, been hearing every whisper, uh, rumor, hope, and wish of the people regarding this man to his left uh, for at least a year or two. The name Jesus of Nazareth was not unknown to this weary governor. But the chief priests worked upon the crowd, uh, sent their minions murmuring murder into the ears of the people to get them, to demand Barabbas' release to them instead. The eyes of Pilate were growing darker upon the balcony. Frowning, he shook his head at these people. He, He just couldn't understand. And he addressed them once more. Then what am I to do with the man whom you call the king of the Jews? His hand casually motioning over toward Jesus. And in that moment... It was as if time stood still, as if eternity flashed both forward and backward, as if Isaiah was standing once again upon these cobbled streets, crying out, he will be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. We esteemed him not. As if King David, from the ramparts of his castle in this, the city of David, still shouted unto his people, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. As if Isaiah again should echo the king's words, prefiguring everything which was to come, writing thus and thusly, he will be oppressed and afflicted, yet he will not open his mouth. He will be led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he will not open his mouth. Yes, eternity was flashing backward, forward, and was yet totally present to the present moment of that Friday morning as they shouted back at Pontius Pilate, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Pilate clearly, visibly shocked, replied to them, Why? What crime has he committed? But their voices only continued rising to a roar, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! These voices cascaded upward to the balcony in waves. Pilate looked at Jesus. Jesus' eyes were on the morning skies. And as Pilate wanted to satisfy the crowd, as he wanted to get back to the business of this Friday, as he wanted to not be bothered anymore with the ridiculous ways of these fundamentalist zealots, as he wanted to not be reported again to Rome, as he wanted to quell potential outbreaks, as he wanted to finish his breakfast in peace, he set Barabbas free for them. And he was brought upward from the dungeon, released into the cool, fresh air of this Friday, given his life back as unworthily as we've been given ours. And after having Jesus flogged, beaten with a cat of nine tails, 39 times within inches of his life, handed him over to be crucified. Jesus himself, getting on with the business of his particular Friday of that Passover week, uh, no longer bothered by any intrusion of the ways of religion into the means of redemption, Uh, quietly and everlastingly overpowering, uh, not just Rome, but conquering the world, Uh, starting an outbreak of the ways of the kingdom of heaven, which has not yet ceased to ring out, and all of this before most folks had even had their breakfast. See him there, the brutalized king of kings, Our Lord Jesus. Then the soldiers marched him away inside the courtyard of the governor's residence and called their whole company together. As stated before, uh, these men were still visibly drunk from the previous night's debauches, plus, they'd reinforced themselves to get through the viciousness of the flogging. Now they felt no pain at all, any of them. They were winefully and woefully numb. And thus they dressed Jesus in a purple robe, and entwisting twisting some thorn twigs into a crown, they put it on his head, cramming the thorns into his brow. Then they began to greet him. Hail your majesty, king of the Jews. They hit him on the head with a stick, and they spat at him, and then bowed low before him on bended, even unsteady at times, knee. And he stood before them, the purple robe clinging to the strips of flesh of his shattered back, his shredded shoulders, and the blood of the crown dripped into his eyes. And he let the blood flow without wiping his face. A halo of blood gathered on the paving stones at his feet. And when they had finished their fun with him, they took off the purple cloak and dressed him again in his own clothes. And the blood stained his favorite tunic Instantly. Then they led him outside to crucify him. Years later, an old man is talking to a small group of people, sitting in a small, lamp-lit room, somewhere in a, a seaside town on the fringes of the empire. The lamplight sputters and casts shadows and light across his features. He is leaning in intently, toward the group. "'There is a wrong belief that many hold,' the old man, Simon of Cyrene, tells them. "'Many say that I alone carried his cross for him. Not so. We carried that cross together, he and I. I was standing there. The soldiers called me out. I went over, head bowed down, uh, then together we ascended the hill. He right there, I right here.' Only the upright kept our shoulders from touching. I felt the grain of the horizontal upon my shoulders. I tried to match his stride, step for step. I didn't say a word to him walking. I I had heard of him, of course, but who could know what to say? He never even looked over at me. But I I heard his voice as he whispered, Thank you. Along and along, we trudged up, struggling, struggling, The way to Calvary seemed, to me, unending. He spoke to some watchers along the way. I I remember not his words to them. I remember only uh, the step by step, step by step. The old man's lips begin to quiver. He is battling the emotion that always comes at this point in the telling. His listeners, the church of this little seaside town, wait in silence as he takes the time to collect himself. Toward the top, he goes on, before we arrived at the crest of the hill, uh, before we laid it down, before they nailed him to it, I look back over my shoulder, down the hill. All along the way, all the way from the city to the top of that rise... There was a furrow dug by the upright we'd been dragging along between us. The old man lifts his eyes. His listeners watch his face. And on his side of the furrow, he says, there was a steady stream of blood all the way coming up the hill. While on my side, nothing. Do you see? Our journey up that hill told the whole story, my children. I have never stopped following that man since.